All right, welcome. Uh, so today I have a really uh, exciting guest. It's something I've, I've, I've worked on um, for, for a long time, dating back to when I was in pharmacy school. So, um, but I'm not gonna introduce her. I'll let her introduce herself and the topic. So uh, Athena, why don't you let everyone know who you are? Yeah, thanks Craig. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Athena Cannon and I am currently a pharmaceutical care leadership resident at the University of Minnesota primarily focusing on ambulatory care and academia for the next 24 months. I was born and raised in Texas, went to undergrad at the University of Texas at Arlington, and then got my pharmacy degree, or PharmD, at Texas Tech Health Sciences Center in Abilene, Texas. So big move recently from Texas to Minnesota, and I know you're in Texas, so it's crazy how we meet after I actually move. Um, but today I'm excited to share my experience in sports pharmacy. Yeah, so again, so that's the topic and what I, I forget exactly how I came across you on, I think LinkedIn or, or social media in some capacity, because very few people that I've come across even know the combination of those two words, sports pharmacy, and even if they know of it, are interested in, in kind of exploring it and developing it. So to you, what is sports pharmacy? I think in the broad sense of the term, sports pharmacy is anything uh, medication or dietary supplement related to athletes. And so, you know, through my, I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of questions, especially here in the United States of what is sports pharmacy and what's the role of pharmacists working with athletes. In my experience, it has been from anti-doping education to clean sport advocacy, um, you know, working with the athlete's care team when it comes to a sports medicine clinic or counseling on over-the-counters or dietary supplements in the retail setting, uh, drug information resources, and then pharmacists can also be a part of uh, establishing anti-doping policy. And while you know these are all great ideas, there's not a lot of pharmacists uh, actually in these roles here in the United States at least. I think a lot of what I've learned about sports pharmacy has been internationally. So Japan has a sports pharmacist certification. There's pharmacists in Europe that are more involved in sports teams and such. So I, I think you're absolutely right with what is this and you know what are pharmacists actually doing in this area? So how did you first get introduced to the concept or the idea of sports pharmacy? <laughs> Oh, I have reflected back on this so many times because like you, it started when I was in pharmacy school. And I guess I'll go back and say that throughout my middle school, high school, I did do competitive gymnastics. And then I cheered for a little bit in undergrad, but I didn't identify as an athlete. Like that wasn't something that I, you know, when I introduced myself, I never introduced myself as an athlete or a competitive gymnast. And so I think it really stemmed from just my personality of wanting to grow professionally and personally. And athletes are such a great example of, you know, peak physical and mental performance. And so my P1 year at Texas Tech, they really focus on special populations, so geriatrics and pediatrics. And I had a thought of what about the unique population of athletes and where do we fit into their care? That's really interesting. I mean, the, the path that a lot of people end up taking is that they have some history of 
athletics in in their personal personal uh, I guess story. So myself included, and another pharmacist I had on earlier, Jimmy Pruitt, was also an athlete uh, in undergrad before pharmacy school, and it's something that you kind of carry with you throughout your life and marrying the two concepts is somewhat natural, but again, so many people don't even know about it or even have the concept of combining the two things. And I know for myself, anti-doping was kind of what um, got me into it, uh, especially in pharmacy school and just kind of understanding the, the, the bridging of both um, performance and enhancing capabilities of drugs, and then also testing for them, which has a lot of pharmacokinetics involved with it as well. Um, one interesting thing that I think uh, can can play a role is is recognizing all the different uh, aspects to doping in sports, and it's not even just illegal substances, but something that is therapeutic for some people might be performance enhancing in another. Um, is there anything that you've come across that you can think of that kind of meets that, or something interesting that you found surprising? in your journey with sports pharmacy? I think there were so many things that I, you know, starting my first year of pharmacy school, like you said, not a lot of information out there. So I really didn't know what is anti-doping, what is sports pharmacy, really didn't know much about sports medicine. So throughout my journey the past four years, I think my perspective has changed with every experience that I've had. And so initially, I think I went into... Um, you know, shadowing at the Olympic Training Center, and I thought I was going to see all these athletes, and they're going to have a pharmacy there, and I'm going to look at all their medications, and oh, what do they give to athletes that come and train? And to my surprise, they don't. <laughs> they, they have a very, very small amount of medications there, mainly antibiotics, uh, because they really try to use more of like physical techniques when it comes to athletes' ailments because of the prohibited list and anti-doping policy. So instantly my P2 year, that was a huge shift in what I thought, you know, athletes care was, um, you know, going down into being in the more clinical aspect, like you said, there are athletes that do take substances for therapeutic reasons and in no way, shape or form, should we keep an athlete from taking a medication or a therapy that they need um, and they're diagnosed with, and they've got a proper prescription for it, but we need to know what steps do we need to take based on their competitive level. So when it comes to the therapeutic use exemption, is it a retroactive like NCAA or is it proactive like the Olympics? So I, in a way, I feel like, you know, treating athletes or caring for athletes in the medical sense isn't too different than the general population. Um, but there's a lot of considerations, you know, are there therapeutic alternatives that aren't banned? Um, and then if, you know, the athlete could do without the medication, how do we do that that's safe and effective for their treatment? The kind of what you mentioned initially was my exact <laughs> experience <laughs> as well. I, I was a, I don't remember what pharmacy year I was, maybe P2, uh, did the same thing. I was in the athletic training office I was like, oh, hey, I'm a pharmacy student, uh, also an athlete. Let me help you guys out with your medication. <laughs> They're like, okay, it's over there. And I go over to the medicine cabinet. It's like Tylenol and <laughs> Motrin. I'm like, oh, I don't know what I was expecting, but that makes perfect sense. They're otherwise super, well, super healthy, generally speaking, and young 
individuals. So why would I expect there to be, you know, a, a laundry list of medications or like an anabolic agent just sitting out on the counter? It's like, that's not what's going to happen. But um, one of the things that became clear to me as I dug into it is, is exactly what you said as well, is that the, the drugs that are being used uh, one way or another, whether they're uh, used for a legitimate purpose and, a pay, and the athlete has a medical exemption, either making sure that's appropriately documented with the athletic training staff or the NCAA knows, again, that's been my experience, uh, which you can do proactively. Uh, or if we, we were kind of having a, I guess, more casual conversation and something did come up where it became clear that, oh, the athlete is always four or five, six steps ahead of any sort of anti-doping uh, and they're definitely not gonna just give you that information. Um, has, has there been any circumstances where you've had to really dig at someone to identify, like it's, it's like a medication history on steroids, no pun intended, uh, or like trying to really get that information out of someone. I don't know if you've ever had a, an experience like that. So during my internship at the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency back in 2018, I was the first pharmacy student that they've had. And since then, they've been taking more pharmacy students, which is super exciting. Um, but part of my role there was looking at athletes' whereabouts and what dietary supplements and medications that they declared, making sure that they had ter uh, therapeutic use exemptions for anything that was on the prohibited list, and then looking at the dietary supplements to assess what is the you know, safety with taking these substances, are they third-party tested, um, you know, what is the performance enhancing uh, capabilities of some of these dietary supplements? And I think on the elite level, they're held to a lot higher standards. And there's a lot of responsibility and accountability put on them. So they are required to, you know, disclose any and all supplements, uh, substances that they're putting in their body. And so I think in that way, elite athletes are in the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency and the World Anti-Doping Agency is equipped to get that information out of the athletes. I think there's so, I mean, there's so many different scenarios where maybe you have an athlete that literally had no idea that their, you know, whatever they were taking was on the prohibited list. So a couple years ago with Maria Sharapova, she was taking a medication for years that got put on the prohibited list. Um, and granted, there's a lot of question as to whether or not she knew that, but the prohibited list is updated every single year. And so it's up to the athlete to be, you know, up to date on what medications get added. So there's that aspect of it. Um, there's another aspect, like you were saying, that there are athletes seeking to gain performance and there may be 10 steps ahead of the anti-doping organizations. And a prime example of this is selective androgen receptor modulators or SARMs. So SARMs are found in dietary supplements. They're not legal products. They're currently being studied in clinical trials for different uh, muscle and bone related disorders. But the athletes that are using these products are getting them online <laughs> um, and they're ever evolving. And so I think the anti-doping labs are really trying to you know, keep up with athletes and how they're using these medications. 
And I was once told that athletes don't use substances the way that we're taught in pharmacy school. Like you said, they're very clever. Um, and so they, they know how to seek performance with different titration schedules and uh, different ways of administration that the anti-doping community is trying to keep up with. Yeah, uh, again, I went to pharmacy school in New York City and one of the faculty there, Dr. Cutie, he, he had been there for forever, uh, it seemed though. And one of the things that he always did, and he taught the law course, every year he would bring in a, a few news articles of pharmacists that were arrested for giving out steroids to the, the Yankees and the Mets, because at the time that was the big, the big deal. And again, a lot of pharmacists either were doing it willingly or no, knowledgeably, but a lot don't even know, understand that um, these are not legitimate purposes. It's you're still liable for uh, making sure that there's legitimate medical purpose for all of these medications. Now, one one uh, different story that I, I know uh, we talked a little bit about beforehand that doesn't involve anabolic agents was with uh, the Nike Oregon project. And myself being a runner, I know I understand that it's not the most popular sport in the United States, but in a small group uh, of people, it is fairly popular. But what it does teach us in this case is that uh, it, two things mainly that a pharmacist can get involved and can get in serious trouble without even knowing it. And then secondly, it doesn't have to have an anabolic agent at all, or at least what we think could be an anabolic agent to really play a role in performance enhancement. So the Nike Oregon project was a group of distance runners in the United States. And uh, they, they had a lot of different techniques for training, which led to a lot of success. Uh, in the international and Olympic uh, performance and results. But one of the things that they were kind of controversial in, in the, is their techniques in doing it. So they use very aggressive um, training techniques, alternative training techniques, and then dietary supplement, and then questionable medical practices. So one of the things that they did was they had a lot of their athletes diagnosed with what quote unquote subclinical hypothyroidism, and then they get started on uh, uh, T3, so liothyronine or a, a, uh, another thyroid hormone product, which again, we would know, well, that's going to boost you in, in some capacity, but the performance enhancement was a little questionable. The other aspect was uh, they were investigating the use of L-carnitine and uh, or levocarnitine, and that's where they really got in trouble. So I don't know if you had a, a chance to look into any of those details uh, of those cases uh, and if you had any thoughts about the pharmacist's role particularly in that case? Yeah, I think the most important aspect, and please everyone go back and read his article, I think it was such a good article, but that the pharmacist knew that there was a certain volume threshold for anything. So at least they were aware of that. And I think a message that I have for pharmacists who maybe just want to dive into sports pharmacy and anti-doping a little bit is go and look at the water prohibited list. And there's no way you're gonna be able to memorize every single substance on that list, but you can be familiar with the categories and some of those volume thresholds and threshold substances. So in general, I feel like pharmacists should know where to go to look at that information, depending on what level their athletes compete at. Another thought I have is when I was at the anti-doping agency, I had that thought of, 
I wonder if Synthroid's ever going to be put on the prohibited list. And granted, it's been a couple years since I've looked at that data, but it's not compelling for performance enhancement. And I think that's the main reason why it hasn't been put on the water prohibited list. So, you know, during my time at the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, I was able to be on an international call with pharmacists that looked at, you know, new substances that are proposed to be performance enhancing or unsafe for athletes. And then we would discuss whether or not those substances should go on the prohibited list. And it's definitely not a light decision to make. Mm -hmm. um, but again, just another consideration of is this you know, whatever it is, medication, dietary supplement, it does the performance enhancement, um, is that benefit larger than the risk that it might play on your health? And financially, dietary supplements are very, very uh, expensive. <laughs> and so especially marketed to athletes, that is a huge, um, you know, profit area. And so I think these are just things to keep in mind. I think you being a runner, and I don't know if you are familiar with this podcast, but the Clean Sport Collective has a podcast, and they're, they primarily talk about running, but they are clean sport advocates that have athletes on all the time. They actually had, I think Kara Goucher is one of the hosts, and then Mary Kane was on there to talk about some of the more intricate pieces of the Nike Morgan project, and so, you know, some of the things that I never thought of initially getting into anti-doping was the social aspect that occurs to doping. So there's a really big initiative right now to support whistleblowers because it's really hard to get athletes to speak the truth when it comes to performance enhancing substances, you know, um, athletes themselves who are doping, but maybe want to get out of it. If there was some sort of organized doping occurring throughout a sports team, um, you know, whistleblowers in themselves, knowing that maybe their, you know, competition or some of their teammates are doping and supporting them in the process of coming out. Uh, one of the interesting things I read on Mary Kane's side was that there was a lot of social intricacy mm -hmm. in her case. And, you know, a lot of things that were very mm -hmm. questionable as far as like, you know, needing to lose weight and you know, potentially using diuretics, which are banned, as you state mm -hmm. in the article. So a lot of different aspects from the performance enhancing side, the legal side, and then also the social and ethical side of it. Yeah, there's, that's a great podcast. Uh, I've, I've definitely listened to it. I'll link to it down below. And there's another episode, I, I may have been the same one uh, with Steve Magnus, who, uh, when I was in, again, I'm dating myself, but he was uh, one of the he was so close to getting a four minute mile in high school, which is kind of unheard of, but he ended up um, being a coach at the Nike Oregon project. And he was actually uh, named in the legal case surrounding the L-carnitine where the pharmacist got in trouble. Again, just to briefly describe that. So the pharmacist, uh, what ended up happening was that he knew the USADA guidelines saying that the volume so l-carnitine itself wasn't the issue in the case it was the volume of the diluent that was being infused because and i don't remember the exact time frame but it they they uh accused him of putting the l-carnitine in a liter of saline and the maximum amount that the athlete could have received was like 100 mls but mm -hmm. the pharmacist was was very assuring that 
he absolutely put it in 100 mLs and he had to explain how to, he further dilute or diluted the product to make it the final concentration. But because of the regulations in Texas, Texas, you only had to keep those records for three years and three oh, years had elapsed. So he got rid of the records. So he couldn't produce the actual records of the compounding and dispensing of it because he didn't keep them. And the, in, in the transcripts, which you can get online, which are totally uh, available, uh, it essentially was his testimony against two other people's testimony. And the arbiters in the case said, well, it's two against one. Uh, we don't believe you pharmacists. We believe these two other uh, coaches and representatives from the Nike Oregon project. And it led to, uh, uh, he had a citation on his pharmacist license in, in Texas, which you can actually go up and, and, and look on the state board website. So he did nothing wrong nothing wrong according to Texas, but still ended up getting it. So you can get in trouble even if you do everything according to what the regulations are. Uh, but he didn't really understand. I don't know if he fully understood or understood the uh, full weight of the issue with doping in, in sports. So it's very, very interesting uh, and something that every pharmacist definitely needs to be aware of regardless of what practice setting you're in or uh, what uh, uh, involvement you're having with it because you could potentially uh, do something harmful for the athlete and get them banned or yourself uh, and you definitely nobody wants that that's for sure um, and then yeah with uh, Kara Goucher and uh, uh, Mary Kane that yeah they're 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 kind of expressing of their experiences was really uh, enlightening to me I'd never was an athlete. I, I ran division one NCAA, but I wasn't really a, like a top tier. I was like middle to low end of the road. Uh, but I did know a lot of uh, uh, friends that were elite athletes and ended up going in, in, in that route. And almost all of them were clean athletes, but they knew of other athletes that weren't. And uh, I don't know if you ever saw any of the Lance Armstrong documentaries and they kind of overlap where there was this attitude of when you're at that level, well, you have to now dope because everyone else is doing it. And even though for the case of Synthroid, for example, it doesn't really cause performance enhancement in a general population. But if you're an elite athlete and you're looking to shave one second off your marathon time, that might be able to do it. And that might mean the difference between third place and second place. So these athletes are really committed to not even caring about the consequences. Again, like in Lance Armstrong's case, he didn't care that he developed testicular cancer. It was worth it to him in his mind. So expressing that to athletes and really understanding like that's the, that's the obstacle that a lot of pharmacists are gonna have to get over in terms of helping at least educate the, the, the student athlete or the athlete to the risks, trying to communicate them to health risk down the road that they may not really want and then also making sure they can help make the right decision it's it's just there's so many layers to it and i'm really happy that you're kind of getting involved with this because i think there needs to be a lot uh a lot of smart people like yourself really looking at these things and trying to solve some of those problems yeah and in no way do i think pharmacists are going to you know I, I don't think the goal is to try to get athletes in trouble for using these substances, right. but exactly like you said, we are another resource. We are another healthcare professional that can guide them with the facts about some of these medications and supplements and guide them and counsel them towards the proper ways to use them and when it's appropriate. And then ultimately they're going to have to make their own decisions, you know, and if they consume a substance, 
it, it's going to be on them for the most part. Um, but like you said, in some of these areas, it's up to us to be confident with our recommendations going forward. And I think one of the first steps to being aware as a pharmacist is knowing that there are prohibited substances that, you know, from the NCAA level that athletes are, you know, not uh, permitted to take, but then in the more elite level, it could be under the water prohibited list and even sports that you wouldn't think of such as esports or CrossFit. I think CrossFit now falls under the water code and there's a lot of different signatories under the water code. And so any of those competitive events, you need to be making sure that any athletes you're working with understand that, you know, they're held to a certain responsibility when it comes to what goes into their body. Another aspect I want to point out is you, you mentioned sometimes pharmacists don't know that they're doing anything wrong. And I think a risky, you know, area of pharmacy in this manner is compounding pharmacy. So compounding pharmacy, a lot of times they're making those hormonal creams. They could also be making pain creams for athletes, but there's huge risk of contamination there if there's not proper cleaning or if the ingredients aren't stored separately, you know. So again, I think just more considerations when it comes to what we do in practice and ensuring that we're, you know, giving the right products and recommending third-party tested products to ensure there's no prohibited substances. Yeah, the, the topical agents is very interesting. So I remember uh, a case that was described when I was back in New York at the New York Poison Center. They were kind of describing this event where uh, somebody had ingested this uniquely compounded cream or ointment for an athlete and the ingredients of it were really peculiar. So there was clonidine, ketamine, dexmedetomidine, uh, like catorlac, and then maybe something else all in this one compound that was a topical agent and maybe like bupivacaine or something. So it's like, well, that's clearly never been tested as a, a therapeutic agent it's probably going to give you some analgesia, but I have no idea how much of that is being absorbed. And then in the, this case, somebody had ingested it. So that's going to be a nightmare of, of a case to, to deal with. But that's the type of thing that most pharmacists are going to get encountered with, especially if they're in a compounded facility where they're going to get athletes sent from an orthopedic surgeon or something that's trying to do the right thing and saying, well, I'm going to try to limit your exposure to opioids or benzodiazepines because that's going to impact your performance negatively, but I want you to get back to performance. So I'm going to give you this, this cream that's never been tested. Uh, and then it gets in the wrong hands or compounded inappropriately or shared amongst athletes or what have you. So it's something that is certainly uh, challenging to deal with as a pharmacist. Um, but so if you're a pharmacist in that situation, would you suggest them reach out to like a USADA or like, how would you go about trying to make sure you're doing the right thing by the patient? I think understanding the patient's situation. So when is there, you know, what level of competition are they at? When is their next competition? When they take the medication, would it be considered in competition or out of competition? I think those are really important questions. Of course, as well as the indication, making sure that whatever medication it is, is indicated and is it effective for whatever they're treating? Is it generally safe? So still all the aspects of what a pharmacist's role is when it comes to medication therapy, but then understanding the athlete and their role 
a little bit more clearly. And the NCAA has a prohibited list, and they also have a way to inquire about any substances that you aren't sure of. So if they're not listed in the prohibited list, then you can reach out to them. And I've called drug-free sport before and asked them questions. So I, I definitely think they're available. If you're dealing with a more elite athlete and maybe they know themselves that they are held to the water prohibited code, you can use Global Dro. And that's just a website online where you type in what country you're from, uh, who you are, whether that be an athlete, a you know, pharmacist, a physician, and then what sport you're inquiring about, you can type in whatever medication. I will say that dietary supplements are not found in that database, but any medication, and it'll tell you if it's prohibited and in what routes. So again, as pharmacists, we're not going to know 100%, especially not in anti-doping because it's so complex but I think we need to start using some of these resources to get a little bit closer and ensuring that we're doing right by the athlete. So you're training right now in uh, kind of like an ambulatory management type residency training. That's accurate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that you're, you're more of the inpatient side of things. So well, no, that, yeah, that's totally fine. And, and I mean, like, where do you see, those two overlapping, is that something that you're working towards as well? Or do you just see their complementary skills that are just gonna make you better in general uh, in your future career, your current career? Yeah, I think in general, going throughout pharmacy school, I was really interested just as kind of an umbrella of endocrinology. And I think that falls really well into ambulatory care where you're you know, treating and working with patients that have diabetes and metabolic syndrome and, you know, maybe thyroid disorders, but then also the anti-doping aspect of it where there's performance enhancing drugs like SARMs and, you know, other hormones. And, you know, we're talking about Synthroid potentially being used for performance enhancing. So I think in the grand scheme of things, my interest in endocrinology has really complemented my ambulatory care side and then also my sports medicine side or sports pharmacy side. My role in this has looked very different throughout the last four years because I'm still learning. There's so much more to be discovered as to what is the role of a pharmacist when it comes to athletes. I have delivered presentations on performance enhancing drugs. I've talked about my experience in sports pharmacy. I helped develop a fourth year API rotation at a sports medicine clinic in Texas Tech, working with Texas Tech women's soccer. And so that's more of a clinical side of anti-doping and maybe just being the pharmacist that's helping with pharmacotherapy, whether that be for pain or for depression and anxiety, because there's a lot of mental uh, instability when it comes to athletes and the pressures that are put on them. Um, and then I think the anti-doping side of it, I'm still in contact with the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, and I still have, you know, discussions with the pharmacist that works there and connecting with pharmacists across the United States. I'm really excited about the group of pharmacists and students and researchers that have reached out to me, and I think we're forming a really exciting community in this sense. And you know, there's the University of Mississippi, they have a course on human performance. There's a university in Florida that has a sports pharmacy appy that's looking more at the 
chemistry side of things and the anti-doping side of things and, uh, you know, lab testing and how those molecules are identified. And I think there's just going to continuously be more and more opportunities for pharmacists and students to learn about this area. I'm excited to see some of those things really start developing and I, I'm sure you're going to be a big part of that. Uh, I know you're a resident, you probably have to get back to your resident <laughs> responsibilities. So I really appreciate you taking some time today. Uh, and uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you, I'll make sure the contact information is down below. But I really appreciate your, you, you taking some time today, today again. And I, I really, I thank you. Yeah, Craig, thank you so much. And I'm so excited to see that you have this interest early on. I love connecting with, you know, anybody who's curious about this topic and, you know, learning together. I think this is going to be such a group effort and really figuring out what, uh, you know, a pharmacist working with athletes is going to be defined as. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, it was my pleasure.